And welcome everyone to another episode of the Mind Sculptors Podcast. I am your host Callahan and today we will be answering the never-ending question, is Dominaria United the set that breaks CEDH? Joining me today to help me answer this question are my two trusty CEDH veterans, Cobblepot and Pongo. Before we dive into our discussion over some of the new cards, I want to thank our patrons for all the support you give. Your support goes towards continuing the show and improving it, being able to put this out every week. So if you like the show and you want to join the Sculpty family, please head on over to patreon.com forward slash the mind sculptors. You can find out more information there. With that said, let's go ahead and jump into my conversation with Pongo and Cobblepot. Dear Sculpty Boys, where do you think the meta would be if Paradox Engine and or Flash were still legal? All right, Cobble. So give us your sage wisdom. Those are two very, very different cards. Um, Paradox Engine, what it enabled was a lot of lower quality decks like Arkham, and original Sisse, some of the mono red commanders of old, those styles of decks to have a fighting chance if they were able to get Paradox into the battlefield. Flash <laughs> is something that's on you know the complete other end of the spectrum. So today, if Flash was legal, everybody would run Grafdigger's Cage and or Rest in Peace. Uh, un- Underworld Breach would be less effective because people would be playing more Graveyard Hate to counter the threat of Flash. If Flash was around, Winota would not be half as effective for the reason that people would be incidentally playing Grafdigger's Cage. Mm-hmm. And like, if you're playing Winota, you hate to see Grafdigger's Cage because the second that comes right. down, like, you don't have tutors in your deck to find the answers for it so i do think that again if flash is in the picture things look very different um but there's this very very toxic disruption to the sort of natural um rock paper scissors metagame uh that that makes for more compelling games of cd and and, right you would see you would see wheels again Yeah. yeah wheels would come back because wheels were used so because Hulk requires you to sculpt a hand, you need to have Flash and Hulk and protection in your hand to be able to go off consistently. Especially with Thrasios and Timna, people would slowly sculpt their hands and then somebody would cast Fortune and yeah. all of the, the Hulk decks that weren't able to interact with that would find themselves in a world of hurt. Man, it's good to see both of you. It's been a while since we've really recorded anything. Yeah. The, all three of us. The dream team. And we're going to do the set review. A little bit of a disclaimer. This this set has a lot of cards that are very good in like very specific decks. Mm-hmm. 
so there are probably going to be some cards on that we aren't going to talk about that you're excited about. And that does not mean it's not a good card or that it's not exciting for that archetype. It just means that we can't record. I have to figure out how to make this all fit in an hour. And so uh, <laughs> we're going to talk about cards that aren't that aren't good as well. But, you know, they, yeah, right. They yeah. Have, but that's so don't worry. Interesting. Uh, Callahan says, I want to talk about this one. <laughs> Right. <laughs> uh, so, so sometimes those cards also slip through the cracks. <laughs> oh my god! So uh, the first card on our list is temporary lockdown. It is a white enchantment that costs a colorless into white, uh, and it says when temporary lockdown enters the battlefield, exile each non-land permanent with mana value two or less until temporary lockdown leaves the battlefield and Cobblepot, you're already doing some Zer stuff that we'll talk about later, but yeah. let's talk about the Zer of olden times. And uh, we've, we've talked a lot on this show about uh, stacks Zer and the viability of that. And I've started to kind of see that crop up in places what are your thoughts on temporary lockdown? Is this probably a place where Zer might find it? Will other decks be interested in it? What if, what's kind of your take, Gobble? Uh, I don't feel like it's really going to see play, but it's it's interesting to at least talk about because mm-hmm. it has elements of cards that do see play and elements of cards that don't. So this is one of those exile until effects rather than destroy or just exile altogether um mm-hmm. it it has similarities to um grasp of fate but it's symmetric instead of asymmetric and it hits everything um and it only hits things that are two cmc or less uh, mm-hmm. rather than out of time which hits all the creatures for a certain period of time so depending on what you're trying to do if the things that you care about are safely above that two CMC threshold, then this is, you know, it, it's an interesting choice, especially because it's exile until. And if you have a means of linking it back and forth, it's, you know, similar to um, Abdel, where if you've got a number of rocks that are less than two, you know, basically all the rocks that see play are two CMC and less. Um, Blink them, activate. If you have a, a means of blinking an enchantment, uh, there's a lot of ways to to convert that into going, you know, mana positive. Uh, it's flexible. Um, the asymmetry of it all is part of what gives it that flexibility because you can use it, you know, to enable lines for yourself, or you can use it to disable lines. You know, exiling everybody else's dorks and mm-hmm. their fast mana. All of that said, is this going to overtake out of time or grasp of fate? Um, I don't think so. I, I don't see this as being immediately better than either one of those two. And those two don't really see any play. I mean, they say mm-hmm. limited play. Very niche. Right. It's, it's interesting to look at the differences between those kinds of cards and see what kinds of avenues they open up. But... 
at the end of the day, it's probably not compelling to actually see play. The next card on our list is... Wait, I thought this card was banned in EDH. Um, oh! <laughs> hashtag free braids. Uh, this is braids. No, not that one. Uh, braids Arisen Nightmare. It is a 3-3 legendary creature nightmare. Wow, that's a lot of nightmare in the same card name. It costs a colorless and two black. And the card says... At the beginning of your end step, you may sacrifice an artifact, creature, enchantment, land, or planeswalker. If you do, each opponent may sacrifice a permanent that shares a card type with it. For each opponent who doesn't, that player loses two life and you draw a card. So Pongo, there is a very important word that keeps coming up in this card. And it's the word may. Nightmare, right? Uh, yeah, so no, excuse me, it's a nightmare. Um, the word may comes up twice in this card. And how how much do you think that that changes how good or bad this card is? Like, what's your read on it? Well, May is my birth month, so that really <laughs> improves the card in my estimation. Um, Automatic, 10 out yeah, of 10. 10, 10, 10. <laughs> no, no, but uh, I, I think that certainly that that helps a lot in the sense that you're not required and then obviously the other may would normally be like a downside except that here it's kind of doing some heavy lifting Mm -hmm. so this doesn't fall into like the standard unassured trap where like your opponents will kind of always pick the one that's best for them yes they will right but in many situations you can engineer that so that no choice is particularly good for them with some exceptions. The biggest issue with this card is that it's, it, I find it's quite poor from behind. If, if you're at parity or ahead, then this card is quite good. And importantly, it's good at parity. Otherwise I think I would not really be all that interested in talking about it. So why is this card good? I know Phoenix, for example, has been testing this out in Najila and in Najila, the main resource that you will be able to get ahead on is going to be creatures naturally uh, because yeah. of the token generation capability. So if you can sacrifice a token to this ability into a piece of removal for a mana dork, um, a, like one card draw, and then like a piece of removal for, you know, even like an ornithopter out of like a Winota. Right. Deck, like that's pretty decent, right? Because you at least drew a card and you also took out a mana dork and like, okay, maybe you feel bad. You didn't hit the, the ornithopter, but like that's, I, I engineered, I think, a pretty poor situation for this card. I think more often than not, people are going to have more valuable creatures. Um, so either you're taking a more valuable creature or else you're just drawing up upwards of three cards for the price of like one creature. Um, and that's that's pretty good. You're happy, I think, with any of those outcomes. It, it's interesting. The ability of the May trigger uh, really makes this card so that if you are behind, doesn't put you more behind if that makes sense Mm -hmm. but then it does which yeah it it does nothing but like it it, at minimum it's kind of that like it doesn't screw you over but cobble i know you you were talking about this specifically within kenrith stacks so i mean kind of give us your take on it in kenrith so one of the the aspects of kenrith that is 
profitable is that you can activate Kenrith to reanimate creatures, and you might have other things that can recur things out of the graveyard. So on the one hand, you can expend resources that you have an abundance of, mm-hmm. or you can you know, expend a resource that you have unlimited supply, but then just get it back by paying some mana, which makes it you know, a lot easier to sustain in the long run. You don't have to be way ahead on creatures as long as you can at least keep on getting the creature that you're sacrificing back each turn. Right. The thing about this card that makes it compelling is that you select the type each turn. Mm-hmm. If it was like always sacrifice a creature or, you know, you sacrifice an artifact or, or whatever, then the floor would be pretty bad because it's it you're not really able to be tactical in what kind of forces you're you're right. exerting you might not even um, have that material all the time right 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 the the fact that this is a creature and that the things you sacrifice are potentially able to be recurred through activated abilities rather than spell casts it lends itself to rule of law shells uh, particularly well on to our next card this is airtie the resurrected which is two colorless and a blue black legendary creature that is a three two phyrexian human wizard and it has flash and when airtie resurrected enters the battlefield choose up to one you can either one counter target spell activated ability or triggered ability its controller draws a card or the other is destroy another target creature or planeswalker its controller draws a card this is this is a very interesting card uh so first of all pongo obviously there's some very obvious comparisons to be made with another legendary flash card which is vencer but this does have some different pieces to that so kind of what is your kind of take on this card? What do you think is better? Do you think it's worse? Where where do you feel on this? Yeah, it's interesting. Um, I don't know if it's like strictly an upgrade or if it's a side grade. I, I'm leaning a little bit towards a slight upgrade over Vincer um, in certain contexts. Mm-hmm. Basically, the main text that distinguishes the two is the fact that this can hit activated and triggered abilities where... Um, the only way Vencer can actually interact with those would be to prevent the card from hitting play in the first place. In addition to that, like there's real upside to like letting a thing resolve or, you know, like passing priority on it until it resolves and then countering the ability because you can gleam information. Anyway, I don't want to get too much into that. Mm-hmm. But, you know, essentially compared to Vencer, this card is making people spend their cards a lot more, whereas Vencer is just tempoing people right it's it's kind of basically saying you need to spend mana for that effect the fact that this makes people draw cards is notable downside one of the use cases of vencer is to create like hard locks with vencer and this drawing people into cards can be very awkward if that's your plan so it's not a one-to-one swap in that respect so so it's interesting you know it's 
bit of this, bit of that. It's intriguing though, uh, and certainly I could see it being played. And naturally, you can turn that downside of your opponent's drawing cards into upside. For instance, if you're fighting against the Fossil's Oracle type effect, which allows you to make people draw cards uh, and, and lose in response to their triggers. So yeah, I mean it's interesting. I just think at four mana, probably it's not going to see a ton of play. You had talked about it in the context of any rule of law deck cobble where you're able to flicker it and kind of break parity on it to some extent go into more detail on that for us tell us a little bit more about what your thoughts are okay so rule of law you want to capitalize on as many means of having meaningful game actions that don't require you to cast anything so if you have a way of of blinking or recurring permanence that cause an effect on entering the battlefield, then you're able to preserve or, you know, get the most out of your one spell per turn. For instance, if you have mm-hmm. a way to either blink or tie with displacer kitten or MEL or with a activation of Kenrith's reanimation, then one, there's no spell cast at all, so it's much more difficult to deal with the same way that the same problems that are presented with Oracle, mm-hmm. where people generally aren't running stifle effects, so their ability to to interact uh, is is generally pretty limited. This can hit triggered abilities, activated abilities, spells, permanence. Uh, it's it's very very flexible. Four mana is a lot. Yeah, but rule of law decks, you know, stacks decks in general are looking to exploit um, the value from individual cards rather than the economy of stringing together many efficient cards. So four mana is I'm stacks decks play six mana cards if the effect is is strong enough. So um, I I I think that it's well within the realm of possibility in in Kenrith, I'm going to be testing it there uh, just because I'm already running some effects that allow me to to recur and blink different permanents. And we will see if it actually delivers on any of this that conjecture right. that we have about right. it. Next card on our list is Maria, Scholar of Antiquity. Uh, she is a legendary creature that is an elf artificer, and that is a 3-3 that costs one colorless, a red, and a green. It's two activated abilities. One says tap an untapped non-token artifact you control at green mana. I know that you don't say green mana to your mana pool anymore. It's just embedded in my vocabulary. (laughs) Uh, Second ability is tap two untapped non-token artifacts you control. Exile the top card of your library. You may play it this turn. So there's two two things here right away. First of all, um, as a fan of Arden decks, I'm just going to get this out, out of the way. I am making happy Arden noises right now. Um, that 
That is a great card in Ardentana. Uh, but other people are looking at this as a gruel commander and as a specifically a stack gruel commander. So when we're looking at this Pongo, there are some immediate similarities to another card that is played in a sexy way. And that's Urza, believe it or not. And mm-hmm. so people have been calling this gruel Urza. So uh, take us through kind of this card and where you think it's going to land. I mean, it's two color Urza, right? And more colors equals more better. So this is just better Urza. Is there any flaws with my logic? Checks out. Well, it does have blue. <laughs> Sounds good to me. No, no, no. Don't don't examine it too closely. Um, <laughs> so so yeah. I mean, obviously, this is similar to Urza, and actually, mm-hmm. the text on this card is powerful. It's very powerful. Yes. Um, I think that this card is is quite good. Um, but obviously, this game plan in red green is, I think, less good than it would be in well then it is in blue getting red is nice though but uh, that's for sure but that's offset to a large extent by the fact that the ability says non-token artifacts and i understand why they right. did it i understand why they did it because yeah. red and green are the color of treasures now but it's really sad that they did it because this card i think goes from being extremely compelling and one i'm really excited about in a like a lot of different places um to one that you know becomes a bit more niche uh, a bit more of a niche player uh as a commander however i think um this pair of abilities is is quite good uh i really like being able to obviously just use my artifacts like even under collector roof types effect type effects uh mm-hmm. which i would be playing in green um and so i'm able to do that here um naturally you can turn off your winter orb your static orb and your trinosphere type effects as you would be doing uh for example in like an urza shell so you get those same lines you know those same angles and i think that you know those are reasonable angles you lose out on artifact tutors like red is actually not as good at tutoring artifacts as um it's easy to like to to believe um right you know if you want to tutor art uh goblins you know red is your color it turns out um mm-hmm. so yeah so i think that that's a major downside for that game plan specifically um and because of the inability to tutor those effects i do have to wonder uh whether or not this deck will be able uh to consistently enough um assemble that plan so here here's my question because we look at the red green commanders on the database we have rurikthar which costs six mana mm-hmm. We have Gruul Snoop, which is Galia of the Endless Dance, which doesn't really do anything. And then we have Daryl, Hunter of Walkers, which is... Which is pretty uh, unique. and It is and very powerful. unique. Yeah. So, and we notably saw in the MLC draft, nobody... It was the only color combo that didn't have any decks drafted from it. So, with that being said... You know, if you were to sit down, cobble next season and fourth round, it's getting late. Some of your favorites are gone. Is this something you would consider? Like, do you I guess my question is, is do you think this is now we we are looking at a gruel commander that is probably more compelling than most? Yeah, 
gruel has deficiencies compared to other colors when it comes to the ability to tutor things. Mm-hmm. But it's real good at tutoring creatures. And this doesn't say non-creature on token artifacts. Mm-hmm. So there's a number of artifact-oriented stacks, uh, creatures that are you know, easily found within the gruel color spectrum. Um, is that enough to make it you know, contend with Urza? No. No. And but, there are not um, things you want to tutor it, for either. Right. So it's, it's one of those things where I can see this being a, a, a deck that kind of has what it needs at its core. So like a stack deck really needs a way to generate mana Mm-hmm. and a way to draw cards and stacks pieces to play. And really, this has the mana generation and card draw. All you need is just to have viable stacks pieces to, to throw onto the battlefield. So the, the, you know, the essential ingredients are there. It's just, does the color spectrum of rule actually give you something that's compelling enough to to be able to to contend this episode is brought to you by visit williamsburg in Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. It's time for your favorite game show... Is this a Nagila card? On this week's episode, our contestant is one Pongo from Montreal. Yes, Mr. Pongo, we have here a Shauna Purifying Blade. Costs green, white, and blue is a legendary human warrior that is a 3-3 with lifelink and says, at the beginning of your end step, you may pay X. If you do, draw X cards. X can't be greater than the amount of life you gained this turn. So, are you ready to play? Is this a Najila card? I mean, it's a, human, right, Pongo, it's a warrior, it's, right? So yeah, it's a warrior, right? It's a Najila card. Um, no, unfortunately. So, so is this an on-fire garbage can or is this a Najila card? Uh, this one, uh. this one, I think, fits more into the garbage can. Um, <laughs> I, I, the biggest issues with this card, obviously, um, being the awkward casting cost. Uh, but more importantly, the fact that you have to pay mana to draw the cards. That's really unfortunate. Um, when like cards like Archivist of Ogma draw me like three cards in a turn cycle for two mana and like no additional mana investment like ever again for the rest of the game. So no, Callahan. 
to answer your question, this is not an Agila card, and you should feel bad for even asking. Congratulations, <laughs> you answered correctly. You win Death by Siege Rhino. Oh, At no. some point in the future, Callahan is going to win a game of Magic the Gathering in CEDH with Siege Rhino against you. Thank you for playing. Is this a Najila card? Next card on the list, which is Sten, Paranoid Partisan. Sten costs white and blue. Yes, indeed. This is a Lavinia card. Uh, it is a legendary human wizard that is a 2-2 and says, as Sten, Paranoid Partisan, enters the battlefield, choose a card type other than creature or land. Spells you cast of the chosen type cost one less to cast. It also has a second ability, which is a colorless, a white, and a blue to activate, and you exile Sten, return it to the battlefield under its controller, under its owner's control at the beginning of the next end step. So Cobblepot, there's I, I had I had said pre-show that this is dumb for a lot of reasons. Most notably that in decks that are doing like the top combo, this is just a less narrow like uh like top reducer because you're able to change the mode and and use it in various ways of what you need it for in that situation, right? Like, what yeah. wh- what do you see? This card is is it a ninety nine card? Could it be its own commander? What do you think? Um, I I could see either case. I I'm not as high on it as as the two of you are. It I you know there's a number of cost reducers that already exist in the format. Um several at two mana and they do have impact for sure especially for you know allowing uh, top combos to to go infinite the ability to have this guy kind of exist all the time is i think a it's an it's a powerful effect but it you know, it costs three mana every time you want to use it, mm-hmm. and it is a sp- it isn't a blink, right? That is a fast blink. It's a end of turn blink. So the if this is if this was, I want to have him be say artifacts are going to cost me one less. Now I'm going to dump a whole bunch of artifacts onto the battlefield, blink him. And then say, now I want instants to cost one less. And mm-hmm. then, you know, make use of all that mana. You can't do those lines because his blink isn't instantaneous. Right. And I mean, that's like a, a, a main strategy that I would wish that you could, you could take him. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I, I know that Pongo has some stronger feelings. Yeah. Pongo. You should take the reins on this. This this bad boy blocks for days. Uh, (laughs) It it is uh, able to block, activate, get 
get get rid of all those the Gilas. What are you what are you doing? We don't he's, he, we don't want none of that around just, here. Just saying uh, he's literally pondering the orb. Like how <laughs> like how could you say anything bad about this card? <laughs> well, he was a sleeper agent in the story. Spoiler alert. Um, but, um, jokes aside, um, I, I think that this card actually does a lot that blue white really really wants, which is why it's such a, uh, which is why it's such an exciting card. Um, you know, outside of blue white, perhaps it's less exciting. Um, but you know, blue white is frequently, um, you know, leaning on like the top slash future site type combos and obviously mm-hmm. uh this can fill a role in there um additionally it can play you know a similar role to baral uh early on where it's going to be discounting your interactive spells your card advantage spells um to allow you to sort of bridge into the later game um you know which are things that blue white tends to need to do because it's not the fastest mm-hmm. color combination um so something that I don't know what you're talking about. I have a turn one Lavinia every single time. Yeah, and how many times do you <laughs> win the game? <laughs> That's not the issue. <laughs> um, yeah, so I mean, that's the thing. Blue-white is is reasonable at setting up a roadblock early on, as mm-hmm. Callahan alluded to. Uh, where it struggles is exactly, as I was saying, in sort of bridging the mid-game into the later game. Uh, where it's comparatively slower combos will start coming online. Um, you know, not necessarily slower in the sense that, you know, they're like worse or they cost more mana. I mean, oftentimes they do, but slower in the sense that you're not going to have consistent access to them all the time. So frequently, because you can't easily tutor all those pieces with the same consistency as you would in a deck featuring black, uh, you have to rely on draw engines to sort of find you these pieces mm-hmm. in, in a longer game um and so you know stan is interesting in the sense that he is both a combo piece but also um he's acceleration you know he can generate multiple mana a turn if you're planning on playing multiple interactive or um you know value generating instance uh if that's what you put him on and then you know what's really great is that um you can do that early and not be stuck on that so you can still use him as a common mm-hmm. piece later by flickering him um so that flicker ability is actually incredibly relevant yeah um and you know also you can use him to block and then flicker him and keep him around um which it is also can avoid like mass removal, removal too yeah. which and, is really like it, like if somebody wipes. talks it like deluges yeah. or whatever like you just activate that and it comes back at the end of turn and right. it's fine like it's it's wild yeah so I mean, three mana is a good amount to be holding up to do that, but obviously mm-hmm. you're playing you're playing blue white. So uh, in many you're probably holding up mana you're anyway. playing a, a reactive game plan exactly. Um, so I, I think that this card's really cool. Um, it's you know biggest failing if you want to if you want to call it that is that um, you know will it will it see play in non blue white decks? That's you know hard to say. But it could, yeah. it could, right? It's still like a Helm of Awakening type effect, an asymmetrical one. And Helm of Awakening has historically seen play in like Stormier style of decks. Uh, obviously, like it's not as good because it's not like discounting your Adnaws and then the rocks mm-hmm. off of the Adnaws, right? It's right. kind of one or the other. Um, so I'm not convinced that it will, you know, revive that role. 
Um, but you know, again, counterpoint once again is it's a two-two body, and you know that, that's relevant for Timna. Uh, so you know, maybe it finds a home in some kind of more proactive, uh, you know, Esper or even four-color shell. Who knows? I I'm not putting money on it, but I do think it's a good get for blue-white. Yeah, blue, white, and Jeskai are gonna love this card. Right. Like this is new, new staple in those colors. Like it, like uh, like Arden Krom obviously wants to be playing this. It does a lot of uh, really good things with that already. But also, you add into uh, you add the other layer of you know you're playing the reality chip already in Arden Krom. Uh, so if you need to move onto that line. Uh, it allows you that ability to have it be a cost reducer for your interaction spells, all those things. But it also allows you to make uh, do your combo or maybe put your sort of fire and ice down faster. Right. Like it, it has a lot of really cool potential that I'm excited about. I do think it's hilarious that they had to specify. You could not say land as a, as a card type. Uh, <laughs> I would totally pick land. Yeah, <laughs> feels bad. <laughs> land, land, lands cost one less to cast. Next card on the list is Vohar Vodelian Desecrator. It is a blue black Phyrexian Merfolk Wizard, legendary uh, Merfolk Wizard. That is a one two, and. Uh, it has a tap ability that says draw a card, then discard a card. If you discarded an instant or sorcery this way, each opponent loses one life and you gain one life. And then it has a second activated ability that costs two colorless sacrifice Vohar Vodilian Desecrator. You may cast target insert sorcery card from your graveyard this turn. If that spell would be put into your graveyard, exile it instead. Activate only as a sorcery. So. Pongo, this is Blue Black Scepter Commander. What is it? 1,209? Like, uh, right? Right? Um, Like, how many Scepter, uh, Blue Black Scepter (laughs) Commanders have we gotten at this point? Right? Like, this might be like the best one, though. (laughs) Like, we we might finally have gotten there. Um, So, I mean, the biggest issue that I see for Scepter specifically is um, there's like some small risk that uh, you have not cast Bohar before you've gotten mm-hmm. the Scepter combo online. And then, you know, you might be hurt by summoning sickness in that, in that position. If your plan was to loot through your entire deck, um, it's right. really not hard to have your two drop commander before, you know, you assemble your, right. your combo. But there are situations, for example, if like there's a Dranith Magistrate in play, um, where maybe you had you didn't you weren't able to to get it down first, um, and so that could be awkward. Um, so it's not outside of the realm of possibility. What's really nice about Bohar, though, is that not only is it a you know perfectly cromulent scepter outlet uh, that also kind of just does a thing for two mana that's actually pretty nice in in these colors, which is just looting. Um, it's also a one card win condition with like tainted pact type effects. Um, because it turns out the card has a second ability, which is just <laughs> sacrificing him a dumb ability and getting basically the Kess effect. Um, 
So, but not only that, I think, I, I think you're underselling that second ability because you can literally entomb a peer into the bet into the abyss and cast it for two mana. No, right? You like, do have to pay the mana. Oh, it doesn't. It, you have to pay the mana. Yeah, yeah. Never mind. I lied. Uh, it would be very gross if you didn't. But I saw that as that way, and I was like, "Holy crap!" No, no, it's it's more like uh, a regrowth type effect. Okay, um, or like a flood of recollection type effect. Um, okay, so no, it's not quite that absurd. Um, you know, so so certainly this does really really relevant things for blue black. Um, but like I always ask every time I see another one of these blue black commanders is. You know, sure, this is great for blue-black, but why am I not adding more colors to my blue-black deck? Um, mm-hmm. You know, Vohar is interesting in the sense that it's cheap, uh, which I think is you know fairly compelling reason. Um, and then obviously offers some looting for a card selection, which is super relevant as well. Um, but like, you know, that second ability is similar enough to Kess's ability. Um, so is the cheaper mana cost and the looting and the scepter outlet enough to offset losing red cards? I'm not convinced still. I'm still not convinced that we're quite there with, with blue black command. Right. Yeah. It's interesting. Uh, cobble, we were talking about it and there we've, I've been, I was telling you beforehand, I've seen a lot of people that are toxical pilots that are saying, all right, well, we're just going to change the commander to, uh, this and put Toxtrol in the 99 because it's easier to cast from the 99. It's right. easier to get it on the battlefield reliably. So has this just kind of supplanted itself now as the best blue-black commander? Or Scepter commander? Uh, I think so. Um, it's got, it costs two mana and it, with Scepter, doesn't need any other cards besides itself to win. Right. Um and it has a loot ability, so it can go reanimator if you want to go in that direction. Um, like Pongo said, I mean I wish that second ability wasn't constrained to being a sorcery. Yeah. Um, right. I wish you could just kind of pop that off and then be able to use a spell. Uh I understand why they constrained it, but that does make things awkward if you cast a tainted pact your oracle and then sacrifice your vohar and cast the oracle and then cast the tainted pact and only to get disrupted and then you're in a difficult right. spot but um yeah I, I think that this is for for the cost and for the utility this is i think a, a great blue black versus uh, scepter Next card on our list, this is a card that Cobble has talked about quite a bit on Twitter, and I definitely on-purposed sequenced the way I asked you these cards so that it landed here. Uh, this is Zur, Eternal Schemer. Uh, this is a new Zur. So again, like Braids, it's Zur. No, not that one. Uh, and it costs a white, a blue, and a black. It's a human wizard that has flying. It's a 1-4 as well. And it says enchantment creatures you control have death touch, lifelink, and hexproof. And that has an activate ability that it costs one colorless and a white. 
target non-aura enchantment you control becomes a creature in addition to its other types and has base power and toughness each equal to its mana value. Um, so there's an interesting word in that uh, an interesting type or uh, ability that uh, Zerg gives these uh, enchantment creatures and that is Hexproof which is mm-hmm. nutty and you, yep. you, you were talking in the pre-show we were talking about this card and you pointed out this is a persistent effect this is not an until end of turn effect right there is no phrase that specifies until end of turn so when you target one of your enchantments um, and to turn it into a creature and you know give it hexproof so that somebody can't remove it it is a creature with death punch life lifelink and hexproof for the remainder of its lifetime game so this is a very powerful effect especially since it doesn't require a tap or anything so you can execute it multiple times per turn and it allows you to do some really really gross looping things and it's i i think perhaps a design mistake um, design mistake it's, ooh yeah it's, so the the list that i'm i'm doing is uh stacks obviously so um you you know play your 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 stacks pieces and turn them into creatures. And the fact that they've got Death Touch, Lifelink, and Hexproof makes them very much more difficult to remove, but also makes them uh, much more threatening uh, as, as far as a clock is concerned. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the things that stacks decks have to kind of uh, balance and reconcile is closing the game out. And that's not always straightforward for you, know, you you see a lot of the win con list stacks decks that are out there, um, notably Rule of Law because Oracle Console mm-hmm. is not easy to to execute through that. Not um, going anywhere, <laughs> right? Uh, this is, I mean, it's it's just it's very very strong, just on the the face that it presents a clock and allows you to uh, continue to you know keep your life level high and protect your stacks pieces but also it turns them into creatures so then you can do things that you normally only do for creatures like copying them uh, you know uh, clone effects and and so on normally don't see a whole lot of play Mm -hmm. or non-creature types so if you wanted to make a copy or multiple copies of for instance you know um, smothering tithe then that's a circumstance where you've got let's say even let's say you you've got just two copies of smothering tithe that is two four fours with Death Touch, Lifelink, and Hexproof that are generating a ton of treasure. And yeah, yes, please. You know, yes. 
<laughs> this is fine. Everything's fine. <laughs> I mean, you know, uh, <laughs> oppression, you know, people discard a card whenever you, whenever you uh, cast a spell. Mm-hmm. I mean, if you have multiples of those on the battlefield and they come and swing at you and attack you too, um, and you can't remove them, that's, those are quite compelling. There's just a lot of powerful stacks pieces that become really, really uh, broken mm-hmm. under this shell. And I've, I've only been looking to, into it for, you know, a day or so and have found all kinds of stuff that's really, really interesting. Are there um, any I, enchantments, like non-aura enchantments, right, that have an activated ability that lets you deal a damage somewhat to a creature? Because if so, the death touch ability on that is yes. kind of nuts. Uh, mm-hmm. I'm sure that does exist. I just don't want to Google it. Yeah, anything. I think they're all in red. Um, I mean, the, the ones that are coming to mind are all in red. Yeah, like, like Garopper, Garopper, Aethergrid, yeah. and stuff like that. Yeah, It's a very red now, effect. Now, this right? does have a Parallax Wave. <laughs> you were is, telling us about this earlier. <laughs> this right, is it's wild. It's a four mana enchantment that has fading. So when it comes into play, it has five fading counters. You can remove counter to exile a creature until, uh, until this permanent leaves the battlefield. So <laughs> you can you can remove those counters anytime. They're not constrained by a sorcery clause. So mm-hmm. if somebody tries to do something to your board state, notwithstanding the fact that you've got hexproof for presumably most of your creatures, um, you can exile up to four of those creatures and then have it exile itself, which will then cause all of them to come back into play. It's reset back up to five counters again, and you need to pay another two mana to turn it back into a creature. But it's just very, very difficult. It's very near intractable to to actually remove in any sort of permanent way. Mm-hmm. Um, so it, it's extremely resilient, which is what you want in a stack deck. So I'm pretty happy with it. This is the first time I've played Bident of Thassa in like six mm-hmm. years. So, <laughs> uh, because that's an artifact and an enchantment. Right. So, attacking someone with Bident of Thassa, <laughs> uh, it's, it's just, it's great. Next card on our list is Plaza of Heroes. This is a land that taps for a colorless. It also taps add one mana of any color. Spend this mana only to cast a legendary spell. Also says tap to add one mana of any color among legendary permanents you control. And then it has a fourth ability. Yes, there is a lot of text on this card. Uh, that is cost three colorless mana. You tap exile it. Target legendary creature gains hexproof and indestructible until end of turn. And this came up in a game recently, Bongo, uh, of ours on stream, where uh, a 
one of our opponents used it on my Chrome so that you couldn't win the game. Uh, uh, so, yep. uh, it, it has some strengths, but Cobble, I think when I'm looking at this card, right, I, I, I automatically see it and there's some ob- obvious like downsides to it, right? Like it kind of has that Moxie Amber downside uh, where you can only make whatever legendary permanent you control is. Um, but as a card in mana bases of maybe four colors and down the, down the line, like where, where do you see this card as far as that goes? So it depends. I think it's, it's best for partners and for cheap commanders mm-hmm. that care about having their commander on the battlefield. Um, it, it, it does have the Mox Amber problem, but it compensates much better than Mox Amber does. Yeah. So for, for one, it, at, in the worst case, it gives you colorless. So it's, it's never a land that does nothing. Right. It's not a Gaius Cradle with no creatures on the battlefield. Um, but differently from Mox Amber, you can use it to cast legendary spells, namely your commander. So it does appropriate color fixing for Thrasios or Timna mm-hmm. or Malcolm or whoever, you know, low cost, you know, Najila mm-hmm. uh, commander you're trying to get onto the battlefield. Um, if you're playing Inala or, you know, a, a commander that isn't really something that you're trying to get onto the battlefield early or ever, mm-hmm. um, then this loses a lot because it's just going to be colorless for most cases, unless you happen to be playing a like a stack deck that is heavily into um, you know legendary creatures. Where you know there's a lot of legendary creatures that happen to be good stacks creatures, or you know you maybe play it in mono white. Because <laughs> Charles will find some way of breaking it in half in that circumstance, but that's a joke because you don't need it in mono white because you don't need color fixing. But, but so we you had you had mentioned Angela and I had Pongo Phoenix and I have talked about this and Pongo what you what you've said and i think i agree with you on this is in najila it's just a mountain most of the time right yeah that's unfortunate i really wish it looked color identity and not just the like color pips in the mm-hmm. cards uh because unfortunately it's just a mountain most of the time um you know up until like you have to rev already in play sure then it's a four color land if you have you know like maybe like the one other legendary <laughs> permanent we play like chatterfang um then sure, okay. Um, it 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 can tap for a green at that point too, but like it's just not that many legendary permanents. So most of the time, it is only tapping for red, uh, which is a bit unfortunate because in that deck, you really, you know, not only is red mana not that valuable, mm-hmm. you usually want your lands to be uh, tapping for multiple colors.
Well, that about wraps things up for us here on this week's episode of The Mind Sculptors. Thank you so much for tuning in. We covered a ton of cards in our set review, but not all of them made it into the episode. If you want to see all of the outtakes, listen to all of that. Unfortunately, the video got corrupted, but we do have the audio. So if you want to hear the entire three hours of us talking about the set, one of the patron perks is access to the uncut footage of our recording sessions. So if you want access to that, you can head on over to patreon.com forward slash the mind sculptors or check out the link in the description. I also want to thank our top tier patrons, Justin, Adam Hamden, David Snevely, Dionichis, Jason Bialik, Matt Boehner, and Senior Coupon. Thank you to everybody who supports us, and thank you again for joining us. And from all of us here at the Mind Sculptors, I'm Callahan, and we'll see you next time. Mm-hmm.